Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. Uh, joining us is sports betting industry analyst Ryan Butler. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the legalization in California, uh, Massachusetts, Ohio, um, some new uh, industry news in, in, in sports betting. Uh, it, it's a great conversation. Uh, after that, we will give out our favorite stake or swap picks. Um, not talked about in this episode is, is Houston winning the World Series. Uh, we, I think we were both rooting for at least a seven-game series or for Philly to, uh, to, uh, to win it. Um, I know we've got a lot of friends, and, and Luke has a lot of friends in, in Philly. Um, but uh, before we get into the interview, any, any thoughts on, on the World Series? Yeah, I mean, yet again, uh, crazy underdog story gets really, really close to winning the championship and then loses. And what should every single person who had a Philadelphia Phillies future done with that thing? Sold it on props up. Or if you have a ton of capital, uh, make a hedge bet on the Astros. So I uh, hope everyone did that. It's, I think, back to the Cincinnati Bengals last season. They were 301 preseason. They get all the way to the championship and lose. Everyone who had a 301 Bengals future should have sold it on prop swap. Uh, happens again with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I think it's reinvigorated their love with the Phillies. There was definitely, I went to a couple of games there last season, the season, season before that. Some regular season games were like 40% filled. So um, they, and especially with the Eagles dooming so well this season, there was definitely a loss of attention on the fightings as they're called over there. So uh, yeah, cool to see. Uh, I think it's, it's positive for big city teams to have successful sports teams. I think it's great for the game. So, um, but yeah, hopefully as many people as, as, as uh, possible took advantage of props up or making a hedge bet. Both are, are solid options. So, uh, we're moving on. Astros win again. Uh, rich get richer. You know, my uh, I went to dinner with my mom on Sunday night, and I was explaining to her the situation. She's like, "Wow, like, how do you how do you still have a like a World Series ring when you cheat that bad? Like, how, how is that possible?" I'm like, I I don't know. Uh, it was so so obvious to me that they cheated their their way through that that World Series, but um, such is baseball sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the the managers, the manager was fired uh, and suspended for a year, uh, and basically the the commissioner uh, gave full. Um, it basically said he wouldn't penalize the players for for talk for telling the truth. Uh, now, whether or not any of that stuff will ever uh, actually come forward, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. But um, you know, the fact that they, that they keep winning, I think, still just goes to show you that that the Fair. Astros are uh, are a very solid team, and and they lost George Springer, they lost Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa's replacement, Jeremy Pena, uh, ends up winning the World's, the ALS MVP and uh, the World Series MVP. So um, yeah. it is it is still a very well-ran organization. Um, but, yeah, to your point, uh, the only people who made money on Philly's World Series tickets uh, were those who sold uh, or hedged. Uh, but uh, there were certainly plenty of people who, who sold their Phillies bets uh, on PropSwap and, uh, and made a significant amount of money. I know we've detailed that uh, extensively here on this podcast. Um, so, yeah, congrats to all those people out there who, who were able to uh, take advantage of, you know, Phillies as high as 75 to 1 uh, to win the World Series uh, during the summer. So, um, 
you know, definitely uh, another great season, another great example of, of how long shots can, can make it far in, in professional sports. Um, but it, it doesn't mean the thing unless you, uh, unless you made money on that pick. So, uh, but without further ado, uh, we will get into the interview with Ryan Butler. Uh, he covers the sports betting industry uh, on uh, many different levels, and uh, it's a great interview, and we hope you enjoy it. Yeah, he's, he's such a smart guy. Listen in. And we are here with Ryan Butler, sports betting industry analyst uh, and the editor for iGaming Next North America. Uh, hey, Ryan, thanks for joining the PropSwap podcast this week. Happy to be on, guys. Glad to be here. Um, so I thought we would first start with uh, what one of the, the biggest news items is what's going down in California, which uh, was is where you're currently located uh, covering the story. Um, so just to set the scene, uh, on the ballot uh, this week is the option for uh, Californians to vote to legalize sports betting. And there's two different uh, prop questions uh, that, that they'll be faced with. Uh, so why don't you just break down quickly uh, what, what the two different options are and the, and the differences between them? Yeah, so uh, there's Proposition 26, which is backed mostly by the state's larger gaming tribes. That would be retail or in-person only sports books at travel casinos and a couple horse tracks. And then there's Proposition 27, much more expansive. This one has been dra- uh, spent tens of millions of dollars spent by DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, uh, even Barstool, BetFanatics, a couple other companies that have put in 10 figure, or excuse me, 10 million or more uh, into that. That would be st- your typical statewide mobile one. So far, far more expansive, far more consequential one. But uh, as we're seeing, uh, 27 is actually doing worse than 26 for a lot of different reasons with it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think all three of us uh, thought – you know, when this first got announced that this would be a ballot question, it was like, it's a no-brainer. I mean, we've been hearing it for years. I mean, Californians, they've been going to, to Vegas for years to make their sports bets. Why wouldn't they want to be able to bet on their phone or at the very least be able to drive to their nearest tribal casino and, and make a sports bet? Um, but as you mentioned, it is trending uh, in the wrong direction and and heavily. Um, how wh- Why why is that happening? I mean, everyone thought that it, this was a slam dunk, but... Uh, why is the the trends voting towards no? Yeah, a, a lot of the different factors that go with it. One of the big ones was the fact that there was two propositions. That in itself was confusing. People didn't know what that was going with. Um, the single biggest factor, though, is that 26, again, the, the tribes and all that, they spent most of their campaign money against 27. There was so much antagonism towards that. They There's a lot of, of tradition. There's a lot of history here with the tribes and their casinos uh, in California. They fear that the online sports betting could take away revenue from them. That could then jeopardize their casinos, which could then jeopardize their communities. A lot of these towns in California, the tribal casinos are the single or maybe only employer in a lot of rural areas and all that. So there's a lot of fear of that. And then ultimately, this would lead to online casino gaming that would be controlled by these companies and that it would hurt the tribes long term. So they spent most of their efforts campaigning against 27. So not only did not, there wasn't a whole lot of people supporting 26, a lot of that campaign money, a lot of it went against 27. That was one factor. And as well that there was uh, 27, um, which was phrased very much as this is a coalition to uh, help homelessness issues and mental health issues. Sure, noble, wonderful, good things that we want. But the problem was, is because it was very much framed that way, People in California have kind of thought that was almost misleading because it's really through sports betting that this does it. They're not some benevolent charity group. They're companies. They want to do it. Now, those tax revenues would go towards these good causes, obviously, but it's still 
Um, a, they thought Californians kind of thought that was a little misleading, uh, talking with a lot of them on the ground here and earlier in the year. Uh, and B, it's also just the best case scenario for these sports books to generate money. You know, you're looking at a couple hundred million dollars, maybe a billion dollars plus in tax revenue. And that's wonderful. The California state budget alone is over $250 billion. So you can look at it. It's less than one half of 1%. Great thing. It's better than nothing. Uh, that would have been nice. But it's just, it's not going to solve the problem. It, it just is just a drop in the bucket. Best case scenario. So some of the many factors that went into it. It was a confusing, frustrating process. And then one final note with it is that they, um, the tri or excuse me, the, the group spent combined pro and a con, over $600 million on this initiative, most of which went to advertising. And people here in California just got sick of the ads. They were so sick of everything with it. They just said, you know, no, no, thank you. We don't want anything to do with this. Go away. And there was just a lot of anger that went towards it. So some of the many factors that, that helped explain that what seemed like something that would happen uh, maybe six months ago, uh, it looks like it's headed for defeat. Yeah. So with 27, which is the mobile sports betting prop, wouldn't DraftKings and FanDuel and Barstool have to pay the tribal casinos to get active in the state of California? Like the tribe still would have got some cut, just like other states have, where there's basically like a, a license fee that gets paid to the brick-and-mortar casinos that the mobile operators who have zero brick-and-mortar presence in a given state, wouldn't those guys still have to cut a check to the tribal casinos to go live? Yeah, but it's just such a small, it's such a small fraction of it. We also have to keep in mind sports betting in itself, as big an industry as it is, um, there's new estimates coming out that uh, we have, we're going to have $100 billion wagered legally this year, right around there. That's what we're looking at for the calendar year. But we also have estimates that there's going to be more than $400 billion wagered illegally. So you have to keep in mind that we have that huge of an industry, as big as it is, it pales in comparison to the traditional casino games, slots specifically, which is most of the revenue, as well as table games. So sports betting is just a small, small fraction of this. It's one, it's 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 less than uh, 10% for most casinos in a best case scenario. So you have that small fraction. The, tri uh, the sports books would only give the tribes a small fraction of that small fraction. And so their idea is that money is definitely not worth the idea that maybe long-term they get the sports books online, that's money that people not coming to our casinos slash and again the biggest thing is online casino gaming the online slots the online table games that is their long-term biggest fear their idea is that if we don't have people coming to our casinos we're going to be in trouble one other thing that we've uh, we could mention too is that maybe they could have reached what we would have wanted is maybe a compromise maybe a better deal or something with it instead of prop 26 and prop 27 we had one thing that everybody came together everyone got the benefit of it we've seen this in connecticut where they had tribes work with their lottery actually opened up and in some lower income communities they got a sports betting option they worked with their horse tracks and their otbs they all came together and got a deal where um, everybody got 90 percent of what they wanted here in california we are 600 million dollars later and we look every indication is that we're going to get nothing done it's yeah it's, it's 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 so crazy i mean i people ask me all the time you know what's you know what's going on with with california and i say the tribes uh, have the attitude of either only we can have it or no one can have it. Like, and there really is no compromising uh, when it comes to when it comes to the California tribes. Um, you know, are there examples of other states where you know the 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 tribal casinos or just the the regular brick and mortar casinos kind of caved on it, and then they saw their their business kind of tank? Uh, because I've always been of the opinion that you know it's having sports betting is a great way to you know, get users on a database uh, and to engage those users. 
Uh, and it's not this huge death knell to to land based casinos that that a lot of people think it is. It, it, it's still so crazy. Um, so it's even in Nevada, the most progressive gambling state ever. They also are against online casino gaming. You, you know, they, they, because there's still that antiquated fear that it'll hurt it. Instead, we're seeing it in states that have both. It helps them. New Jersey has attributed their successful online casino gaming thing to helping to keep those the brick and mortar casinos alive. They're helping to carry them. They're they're now a huge asset. It's the future. They're complements to each other. They're good things. We've only had a handful of online casino gaming states. That is part of it is because there's a lot of fears. The idea that yeah, you have a slot machine in your pocket, which is partially you know there is valid gambling um, problem, gambling concerns. But the fears from the casino industry, which the casino industry had historically. Been very aggressively against online casino gaming. Now they're slowly embracing it more and more, realizing, oh yeah, there's a benefit to it. California, I think eventually will, the, the tribes, as the future goes, we are going to get more and more digital. We're looking at Illinois, possibly New York, Iowa, Indiana, a lot of uh, political burdens to move, but if you get those states going, it just domino effects. It continues and it continues and it grows and it grows. Yeah, the online option is a great complement now. People our age and younger, everything is online. The future of the industry is digital, it is online. Um, they're going to realize that one way or another. It'd be better if they were proactive and did it then. Instead, now there's just all of these fears, most of them are not warranted, and it's hurting everybody because of it. So we are now four and a half years into into legalized sports betting, and the largest state in the country uh, is not going to have it. And you know, I've, this has been a huge setback for for sports betting uh, in the state in this country. What needs to have to happen uh, to to finally get in California? What what is the roadmap? You know, were there any lessons learned from this? You know, how, how and when can do you think we can get this across the finish line? Yeah, the biggest takeaway is that these tri- the tribes will not give up unless they are the, unless they have a seat at the table, and they've said it very explicitly. You got DraftKings and FanDuel. You want to come back again in two years? We're going to fight you again, and you know with that same deal. And on top of it, now the tribes are not only that they feel personally aggrieved and offended, and go that it's going to be even harder to get a deal done. But that is what it's going to take is to get these groups. Um, in California, you have the tribes that are very powerful, but you also have these card rooms, uh, these different kind of poker rooms and all that that exist in California. Uh, they trace their roots back, you know, tens of years. They have been in pro, even in legal battles for twenty-five years with the tribes over what they can do. They have these, what they call player banked games, which are ways to circumvent blackjack. And it's like, you can have one guy, a player becomes a dealer, and then you can hire someone. It's just all these complicated things and all these loopholes. And they've been fighting each other for this and all that. So you have them. Uh, one big thing uh, is also maybe the sports teams, where they were more proactive. That could have been an option to get them involved. Maybe the California lottery gets involved. Maybe the horse racing gets involved. Ideally, you have everybody come together and reach a compromise. Kind of what I explained with uh, Connecticut, which is a great example. They have two very, very powerful tribes, but they agreed to give up, you know, Five percent. They got online casino gaming, which they—it's a huge asset to to those two tribes. That's going to be a good thing. The lottery got a piece of the action. The OTBs got a piece of the action. Um, a couple other businesses, um, where the old um, Connecticut, the Yukon Huskies, they're going to have a sports book at their stadium. They're going to get a piece of the action. So everyone got something. That's what California is going to take. It's going to be very difficult. There's a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of cultures. There's a lot of different things with it. I mentioned, again, these card rooms. A lot of them are in impoverished communities or or underprivileged communities. And for them, same deal. These card rooms act as the biggest tax driver, their biggest economic engine. So they want to fight to try to protect them as well. So you have all this money at stake. You have all of this going with it. And it just makes it very, very difficult unless people are willing to give up a little to get a lot. 
Um, yeah, no, the the it, there's these casinos where uh, you, you can play craps, but in order to play craps, you have to like you you turn cards over to to then pick the numbers. So yeah, the the loopholes in California that to get around some of these things is, is crazy. Um, but I thought we could we could switch gears a little bit and talk about states that did uh, actually get across the finish line, uh, and that we will be getting some sports betting in the upcoming months. Um, and, uh, this was not easy, uh, in this state, uh, Massachusetts, um, that took years, uh, to, to get past. And that a lot of that fighting was going on in the house and Senate, not, not so much, uh, in the political ads, uh, realm. Um, we know we're going to get sports betting in Massachusetts at some point. We don't know exactly when, uh, there's a, it's another state that has a fight between the brick and mortar casinos and the online books that have no physical presence. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what, what went down in Massachusetts and what we can expect uh, from that state. Yeah, so Massachusetts was a different animal in that everybody wanted it. Uh, the Republican governor, the Democratic legislator, everybody supported it. Uh, it just it was figuring out how we do it. And they, um, they passed their bill at 6 a.m. Uh, the <laughs> day after their session was supposed to end. Under Massachusetts law, they can like declare overtime, even though their session expired, and they just declared overtime, and then they reached out this deal, hammered it out at 5.30, approved it at 6 a.m., having been there for like 24 hours working on it. So anyway, it's a crazy, it was kind of a crazy thing, but we're glad to have it. Um, kind of what you're talking about, the dichotomy. One of the big things we looked at in Massachusetts was that you have three casinos. You have the Wynn Encore uh, in Boston, you have the MGM Springfield, and then you have Plain Ridge Park, which is owned by uh, Penn Entertainment, Barstool's parent company, a little bit smaller casino, but those three. And so they were like, well, we've been here for a while or a couple of years more. We put a lot of money into this. We want kind of preferential treatment. So they did, in a way, get that. The law guarantees that BetMGM, because of MGM, uh, WinBet, because of Encore, and uh, Barstool, because of Penn National, will get into the market. So they get guaranteed, and they get to pick a second partner. All three of those companies, MGM, Win, and uh, Penn, get to pick a second partner. They can either use it for themselves you know, if they want to do, if MGM wanted, so they've done Borgata, for example, they own that in New Jersey. Theoretically, they could do that. More likely, they will then pick their partner who will then give them a fee in exchange for market access. So you give those, those guys get kind of preferential top level treatment. That was sort of the compromise. Then you have two OTBs, um, simulcast racing facilities. They each get one partner to pick with that gets guaranteed. And then we have what I'm calling seven wild cards. So you got the eight there um, and then seven wild cards, which uh, the state gaming regulators will pick. That is going to be one of the most intense competitions for those seven spots we've seen in the entire country. We had more than 30 companies uh, interested in getting into Massachusetts, and they're only going to be able to pick seven of them. Uh, and again, this is also the compromise. The other MGM, Barstool, everybody, they didn't want, you know, 30 or 50 or whatever. Um, they wanted a, a little bit more limited. So this was the deal where everybody kind of gets a piece of the action. So, yeah, that's it's going to be fascinating to watch the rest of the next couple months or so. We're going to find out who those seven are that get picked. Uh, that's going to be a huge, huge deal. And then we're looking at uh, still a lot of frustration with how it's going to launch and when. We're looking at possibly in-person sports books at those three casinos I mentioned by the Super Bowl, but that's no guarantee. And then we're looking at possibly online going live by March Madness. Again, no guarantee. I've been following a lot of these regulator meetings. They are very long and litigious, and they also their their background isn't necessarily in sports. One example is they're talking about the, the launch timelines and all that, and somebody goes, well, we should try to make sure that not only the Super Bowl, but let's try to do the AFC and NFC championship games. Several of the people making these decisions didn't know what that meant, what the AFC and NFC <laughs> championship games are. 
So you have to keep that in mind that they're not necessarily sports experts as we go through this process. And they've said in other states, for example, uh, Kansas earlier this year, they go, we are going to go live the Thursday of the NFL opener. That was very specifically and intentionally done. Make sure we get every NFL regular season game. In Massachusetts, they've said, we're not going to necessarily bend our way to make sure that you get it. It would be really frustrating, for example, if they go live like the day after the Super Bowl or something, which would be a, a huge blow. Or like, they may miss that first weekend of March Madness, which gets so much action. So again, it's just kind of a frustrating thing. Good news is Massachusetts is coming. It's going to be statewide mobile. It's going to have 15 options. They're going to be all really good books because it's going to get really hard to get in. Um, that's just kind of a frustrating thing as we wait those final few months here before we go live. So I would imagine that Encore is going to pick WinBet or would Encore is would WinBet be considered their mobile partner? If they yeah, pick? so again, they get, yeah, Win gets two, and they've already said we're going to use one of them for WinBet. So they can either then like call it, they could make their own second sports book, essentially if they wanted to, a skin. More likely than not, though, they're going to pick a partner, and that partner will have to pay a premium uh, to win each month in order to get, you know, as a trade. This happens all the time, market access deals. Mm -hmm. um, different casinos, uh, so it's like Caesars, for example, has a lot of retail properties. So they they work out deals where, okay, you can come in, company X or Y. Um, better, for example, the, the J Jake Paul, Joey Levy company, they got a deal in, with Caesars and all that. Uh, in Indiana, so in exchange, you know, in exchange for a part of the profit, we will let you come in. Typically, that that's how it works. Right, right, yeah. Going to be super interesting state. Uh, Barstool and DraftKings both started in Boston, of course. The nationwide market leader, FanDuel, and then of course you have uh, Encore right across the. I think that's a river from the downtown Boston area. Like it's yeah. going to be really one of my favorite states to watch in terms of who can compete the best. And you got a lot of companies that have been in Boston for a while that will be battling. So it'll be a really fun state. Yeah. And it's also just interesting to note. I, I, I would say it's minus 10,000, both DraftKings and FanDuel get in, but there's a possibility they don't. It's really, it's kind of an interesting yeah. scenario. There is a yeah. outside chance, but that would be tough. I, I've, you know, been to that office in DraftKings there. I, it's that, it would just be shocking if they don't get in. And yes, FanDuel is the U.S. market leader. They have to understand, like, all right, yeah, let, let's get those guys in too as well. And that'll be interesting. Then, assuming those two get the wild card spots that I'm calling, I'm using that term. Uh, the other five, you're going to have some really, really good companies that are not going to get in. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about some other states, but uh, speaking of companies that that may or may not get in or, or starting to uh, switch their stance. Uh, there, there was a story last week about Ballybet um, or Bally's, uh, which is a, a casino operator as well as a sportsbook operator. The, the own regional sports networks, um, you know, they even tried making a big splash over the years, but um, at their, I think it was the quarterly earnings call. Uh, there was kind of the subtle message of, you know, we're going to start to eliminate uh, things that are not making money. Um, my personal interpretation was more so about New the state of New York uh, and the fact that it's literally impossible for sports books to make a profit with a 51% tax rate in New York. But um, are we going to start to see some of these books that have been active for the last couple of years and, and made a huge investment? I mean, we've already seen it with Fubo, right? V acquired a company, uh, uh, Victory, to just to make, to make a splash in sports betting, and they've already folded that up. Um, do you think we're going to start to see some of these books that have been active the last couple of years uh, start to just go away or, or pull back significantly? Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's inevitable. We all know this. They're uh, total overall in all the states and all that. Not every state has this, but there are 50 licensed sports books ish across the country in one state or another. 
that's that's not sustainable. A lot of those are going to go away. Yeah, um, one of the big things we saw, uh, Twin Spires, uh, Churchill Downs, major big company. Churchill Downs on paper had a lot of advantages. Uh, like where I live in Florida, where we don't have um, some of the other options, it was still that database. I used their horse racing app. You would think they have an advantage. They they cut cut and ran early. They got rid of their their sports, their online sports, but quick. Fubo is 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 yeah, they're gone. Um, Winbet has made a strategic reevaluation of where they're going to be. They will be in Massachusetts, a couple other markets um, that they really view strategically, but they're not going to be in every single state. Yeah, uh, so you mentioned Bally and all that. The reason with a lot of these companies, and even the the larger issue is again, sports betting is great. They want the online casino. Bally's is hoping that New York legalizes online casino gaming. That is what's keeping them afloat right now. Bally's is losing money essentially every every week and every month in New York before even um, the expenses and the advertising and all that. They are are, are just an afterthought in a, in a state with only nine sports books. So that is their long-term hope. There is going to be three casino licenses in New York up for grabs as part of an example. Um, they're hoping maybe they win one of those. Bally's will. Uh, they won the bid in Chicago. That's going to be a huge deal. They're going to want. So that's kind of when they talk about reevaluating it, they will go live in, in Illinois, for example, as a supplement and a complement to their, their brick and mortar. So, yes, we're going to see more strategic reevaluation or whatever term they want to use. And we're also going to see guys just, just completely fold up. There's... It's so hard. Uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars make up 80% of handle. So you have that already. And then you add um, BetRivers, PointsBet, uh, Barstool. That's another 5 to 10%. So you got, I mentioned, you got those, you know, 45 other companies fighting for less than 10% market share. It's just not, you know, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Um, but yet we still see... You know, new as as one goes away, three more, three new ones come in, uh, and uh, I'm I'm looking specifically at Ohio, which yep. is going to have a tremendous amount uh, of sports books. Um, a lot of the same you know names you just mentioned, but some new ones, uh, including Better, uh, who uh, you you mentioned briefly, uh, and, and I do want to talk about micro betting in a second. But uh, explain exactly what the landscape of Ohio is going to look like because we've got brick and mortar casinos, we've got online betting, and then we're going to have betting inside the stadiums uh, as well. Yep. Uh, I know, you know, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, Luke was uh, just at uh, uh, the football stadium in Cleveland. And I mean, it's already a free for all uh, in terms of advertising and it doesn't go live until January 1st. So uh, just give us a little overview of what Ohio is going to look like. Yeah, Ohio is going to be, from a market perspective, one of the best states in the country. A really permissive, good laws, very reasonable tax rates. I mean, we're going to have 25 or so sports books live by early next year. So you, you got everybody in with it. Now, again, we still expect DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, to Caesars to have 80% plus uh, in that. Ohio also, um, MGM has a casino, so that's a big advantage. They get those um, player databases and all that. Caesars has properties, that's a big advantage. Also, uh, Penn National and Barstool, or Penn Entertainment and Barstool, they have four properties, so that's going to be an advantage as well with them. But yes, we're going to have sports books at all these casinos. We're going to have sports books at most of the NFL stadiums, most MLB stadiums. We're going to have all that. Um, another company we haven't even mentioned, Bet365, which is one of the few companies that really could make noise in the U.S. that hasn't already. Bet365, for non-American audiences, they are the maybe the big player in sports betting in Europe. They are huge, 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 massive. They are privately owned, which is a big deal as well. So they don't have to answer to a board. Uh, they don't have to disclose their financials. But we know they have a lot of money. Uh, and if they want to, they could come into the U.S. They haven't. They've been very, very slow and strategic. And that could be a big one, too. They are allowed, um, really applauded by the industry for having the best lines, the best interface, the best app, and all that. So Bet365, which is a partner with the Cleveland Guardians, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be uh, another 
another big one as well, not only the in-stadium sports book, but also the mobile book. So everybody's going to be jumping in. It's going to be a really fascinating market. It's also going to be one of the first where everybody's going to be opening on the, on the same day. That's kind of rare too. It happens in some states and others, but now we have all the big players. They're established. They've gotten their reputation. They've got their, their finances. This is a big state with great sports teams, um, you know, big population. It's going to be a really, really important, fascinating market to watch. Um, and, and then another company, which I think a lot of people think is kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the room is fanatics, um, multi-billion dollar company ran by Michael Rubin, um, who's been super successful. Uh, the made, uh, they've talked about getting sports betting for years. They hired away the former CEO of of FanDuel, Matt King, uh, to come run their sports book. Uh, they've said they're going to go live in, in Ohio and, and a, a bunch of other states, but um, no one's really still seen their product. And I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure even what, what product they're using because either, you know, you either got to build your own, uh, you have to uh, license uh, existing tech from a third-party platform provider, or you got to acquire someone. And to my knowledge, they haven't publicly done any of those three things. So, um, they say that they're going to, you know, they've got this huge database of, of customers from people who shop on their website, which I, I totally agree with. Now, whether the same person who's buying a gift for their husband, uh, you know, Jersey is the same person who's going to make a sports wager. Uh, I'm not so sure, but, um, what, what do you, th- what do you think is in, in store for fanatics for this giant company that that's going to make this huge splash? Yeah, and I'm glad we brought that up to another big one. It's one of the few companies, along with Bet365, that I think could change up the status quo a bit. It is really surprising that we've heard a lot of rumors, but even through my reporting and talking with everybody, we're not 100% sure what it is going to look like at all, like you said. Beyond the talent, which you mentioned some people, there's a lot of other behind-the-scenes things like that that are coming down the pipe. They have put their money in. Uh, Michael Rubin has been you know, pretty successful, obviously, with what he's done. There's a lot of talent. is so important. So I've gone, I've heard the whole gamut, and you're absolutely right. Bedmanix is either going to have to license with a third-party company for tech, or they're going to have to build their own, uh, or they're going to have to acquire a company. We don't know which way they're going to go. I've heard all three uh, possibilities, and they actually could do all three. You could buy a company. You could then also contract out some of it to another third-party company, and you could also try to build your own tech. They could be doing all three, and they have the resources to be able to do that. That would be an interesting thing. That might be one way to help differentiate themselves because it just it is hard now. Uh, a sports book is kind of a sports book. There is only so much you can do to really differentiate themselves. They say product is the most important. Every company says product is it's that's what's going to win the day. And I think they're they're fairly accurate. A lot of it is branding and marketing, and people just you know do a company they're familiar with. Um, yeah, that and I was yeah I was talking to somebody too about that fanatics, and it's like. Well, my grandma's is on that bet fanatics um, list. He's not going to place a sports bet. Uh, they say it's eighty million, um, you know. But then again, so what percentage of that is going to do it? If it's ten percent, oh my, that would be incredible. Ten percent of their uh, base places a bet. That's a huge, huge success, and that would be incredible. Five percent would be really impressive, and one percent even then means that they're still kind of in it. Like as in that would be that would be an asset. So it's we'll, we'll see with it. Um, I know I've shopped at Fanatics too. Um, they basically have a monopoly over sports, um, sports stuff like that. I, I think it's definitely a company that could shake it up. But yes, the product is going to be important. It's going to be a huge deal as we see what avenue do they go, which of those three paths or some combination um, to see what their sports, if their sports book is laggy, if it looks ugly, uh, if it's not that, they're going to really struggle. But if it's a good product, they continue to optimize there. Um, they advertise a little bit better. They use their databases. I, I could see them being a, a significant player.
Yeah, I guess my pushback on the, hey, we have this giant existing user database and we're going to convert these traditional users into sports betting users is the score, right? The score app had so many users using their traditional scores and schedules and standings app that a bunch of Americans use. And then they try to convert those users in the state of New Jersey. I think they're alive in PA as well. Certainly New Jersey. They try to convert those traditional users into sports betting users and have flopped tremendously. So yeah, yeah that's, I guess that's my concern. And that is, you know, it is on your phone. It's already a, a score focused experience. This fanatics experience is, is merch, right? That is not a score standings schedules platform. That is a merch platform. And I just, I don't really see the, the jump to get people from the merge platform onto the sports betting platform. Now you mentioned if they can come out with a really strong product and if they can change up their marketing strategy a little bit, that's a different story, but that's going to take a lot of money. If you're going to change up your marketing strategy and yeah. spend another you know $300 million in advertising across the country, that's a different question. But if the question is simply, hey, look at all these users we're going to convert from our merge platform onto sports betting, like... I'm more bearish than than others. Yeah, I, that's a, Luke. Those are all really great points. It's a it's a big question mark that goes into it. Yeah, if, if you can't do it on a platform designed for this more digital, how are you going to do it? Um, I don't know. Is are you looking at possibly? Is there a big thing? Hey, uh, win jerseys, bet this much, and you you know your points. That's been Caesars' biggest push for a little bit different. Sure. But Caesars goes Caesars reward Caesars, and they do have the they invented. And popularize the rewards program. They do very good with it. Caesar's points. No matter what you do, Caesar's points. Here you go. Free stuff. Is that part of it? Maybe you get a little bit of, a little bit different demographic. You know, maybe you get the sports fan who otherwise hadn't bet, but they love jerseys, and maybe that's enough to get them interested in it. Is that you know? Is that a possibility with it? Do better. Um, you know, not to call them out per se. I, I like the company, but it's like in win um, in New Jersey, in New York, you place their big promotion is you place a three leg parlay and you went you win get these spinning wheel sort of thing where you get a win or reward. And so I did that. I probably when we were up in New York and New Jersey, I probably placed 15, 20 parlays trying out and different things. And the spinning wheel was a chance to win like a, uh, some obscure New York Jet players autograph football or something. It's just I'm like, what is, what is this? You know, that's nothing. But what if they really do market it well? What if there are some really cool things? And yeah, what's, I mean, the margins that Fanatics makes is just incredible. And I, I'm, I'm one of these two. You pay so much more for that logo on that team. You know, you really, it's <laughs> the clothing and all that. So they have all these things. They have all the autograph jerseys. They have all these, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe that is. I, I don't know 100% with it. Well, we'll see. You know, anything changes with it. But, again, one of the biggest things we look at is, as you mentioned, you know, at the very top of it, they're getting a lot of talent on board with that. you got people leading, leaving really good companies coming in to bet fanatics. These aren't stupid people. And Michael Rubin is not a stupid person. He's given up a lot to get this done. He's given up his stakes and his beloved, and truly he's one of the cool owners where he, you can tell he loves and lives and dies with his teams. That, he's given that up game. that. Yeah. He's given that, that up game. For, for sports betting. Might be a bad investment, might be a bad bet, pun intended, but you look at what's going on with it. I think this will ultimately be a successful endeavor. Now, how how successful, how big a deal, or do they make a big dent? Um, you know, in the, the big four, I don't know, but there's, this is something with it. And who knows, maybe there, sometimes there are different strategies with it too. Online sports betting is part of a different uh, strategy. It's ultimately, again, online casino gaming. Who knows, maybe they got bigger plans. I don't, you know, it's just with it. So I, I like it. It's just going to be an interesting thing. It keeps, it keeps me preoccupied. And I'm, I, as, as somebody who works with it in the industry and someone who's curious about it, regardless, I think it's a cool thing to see.
Yeah, no, that, and that's kind of why I said it's this 800-pound grill in the room where, like, everyone's looking at it, not knowing is it gonna what, what it's going to do. Um, but it, yep. it's definitely probably the most interesting story uh, to, to keep an eye on uh, in, in this industry. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, maybe it's sports betting is, is just a loss leader for their other business, right? You know, they've, they've yep. got that advantage versus a FanDuel and DraftKings where really their only other out is is online casino gaming, right? They don't have this other kind of product that you said has, the, has these uh, huge margins on um, last thing, and then we'll, we'll let you get out of here. Uh, you know, you, you had talked about, uh, you know, product being kind of, the, you know, what better say is the number one thing and, you know, sports books are just sports books, but there is this new growing, uh, channel in terms of micro betting, uh, that has gotten a lot of attention. Um, I've got my thoughts on it, but, uh, so I guess just to explain to people, micro betting is essentially, uh, it's not only is it betting during the game, but it's betting on uh, these very immediate markets. So it's not saying, you know, you're in the, the second quarter of a football game and you're going to say who's going to win. It's you're in the second quarter of a football game. Uh, the Patriots have the ball and you're going to say, is the next play a run or a pass? Uh, and it's these like very uh, micro uh, uh, markets. And so, um, as you mentioned, there's a new company uh, that just uh, got announced called Better. B-E-T-R, that's being founded by Jake Paul, uh, as well as uh, uh, the former founder of of another micro-betting company, and uh, and so, what's what's your opinion? What's the industry's opinion on where this is going? Is are we just are we at the tip of the iceberg, or is this? Do you think is this going to kind of come and go? It's just a fad. No, I think we're very much going to see micro betting become a larger and larger portion overall. Now, is it does is better? Uh, is the company going to capitalize? Me, I don't. I'm not sure. But overall, we're going to see more and more of these smaller bets. The it's almost funny the the traditional money line uh, um, <laughs> over under uh, point spread. Those are always going to be there. But now the future is all of these live bets. It is these micro bets, and it's also that, and then it's stacking together. Uh, micro bets into these single game parlays that is so much of the future right now it's you know uh, how many uh, all these kind of things it's going to be live betting it's going to be all these things player props individual bets simple things like that so yes i think this is going to be a bigger and bigger part of it it appeals to a different demographic uh sports betting is is intimidating it really i mean i didn't know before i really started getting into it a a little bit but most people don't don't they they see minus 200 well what does that mean what does plus 180 mean you know what what is this and they look at the board and, and all that and there's a certain insularity to the sports betting environment traditionally and it makes it hard for people to jump into it uh what uh jake paul and uh, joey levy who found a simple bet are doing is very much like an example of their platform which hasn't been released yet but we'll see is is aaron judge going to hit a home run like yes or no <laughs> you know stuff like that smaller bets and it just makes it a little bit easier so i think we're going to see more options with that there are also higher margins for it when we talk when i say uh, sports books are all the same what i mean mostly is that perspective of um, your point spread. Okay. Every single game, you know, maybe it's 10, it's whatever. Your team's going to be favored by 10. Well, one book might have it at nine and a half, which is a big deal. One might have it at 10 and a half, but that's it. That's the, you know, it's the same bet essentially all across the, the board there. Your difference becomes in, okay, how quickly, how much, how much we can remote these very small incident bets that people are also interested in as well. That can help them jump into it. And you get even higher margins because of the competition you know, it's still VIG of minus 110 on a point spread bet. Pretty much everywhere you go, that's going to be the same VIG. Um, it's going to be the same odds. They know what this is. It's, it's optimized very well. Well, these micro bets, they can get higher VIGs indirectly. You know, especially, I use that Aaron Judge example. They use That's what Better has been using. Everyone was betting on him to hit a home run during the end of it. Well, you can then take advantage of that. You know, you can, like, you can, you can, everyone wanted, they wanted to bet 
on Aaron Judge. So you can get higher margins for each of them, you know, even if it's not really accurately with it. So you have that. Um, these sports books are about 7% handle, or excuse me, margin, margin, mm-hmm. 7% um, win rate off that. They want it higher uh, because they're getting pressure with it. And these micro bets, these pro- player prop bets, you still see it on, on most sports books, even a tradition, let's say um, a player's, individual player's rushing yards. You know, over under seventy. Well, the VIG might be one minus one twenty both sides, and so does the standard one ten. That's fairly that's fairly common. You're getting higher margins off of that. So you, all of those things, long winded there, but they all tie into a future where, in different ways, in different avenues, and in all these things. But this is going to be the future. Is the general concept of micro betting, live betting, in play betting, player prop betting, instead of your standard, um, you know, point spread, uh, total, and money lines. Yeah. No, I I agree with that for certain. I guess those are two kind of different questions there. You also said, well, people don't know what minus 180 means. I agree with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that a DraftKings or FanDuel couldn't optimize their app to say, okay, instead of it being minus 110, it's bet 10 to win nine, right? It would show if you, if you, (laughs) right? That's, that's a different question. I think I agree with you on both, both points. First point is, do people want to make smaller bets? A hundred percent. Yes. Second point is, do people want a simpler sports betting app? Also a hundred percent. Yes. The first point, I think better can do a really good job capitalizing on it. It takes a lot of tech. It takes a lot of data to find what the proper spread should be on LeBron's next jump shot. Like that's difficult depending on when he's playing, how hot he is, et cetera. But the second point is, can the traditional betting apps just change their UI UX to make it a simpler uh, nomenclature to make a sports bet? I think, yes, like, we'll see. I've been saying this for five years. We're five years into this thing that the app still haven't done it. Like DraftKings and FanDuel still are posting things in terms of minus 180 and making things a little more complicated than they need to be. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see who wins that. But I, I agree with you from, from both of those points. Uh, last- Look, I'm not, I, I love that point, though. It's it, you know because it's like um, you can change the language on Facebook, for example, really, really quickly, really easily. I don't know how the tech or how any of that works, but shouldn't you just yeah? Instead of you play uh, when you log in, you place a toggle that goes "I'm a beginner," and then instead of saying yeah, instead of saying minus uh, one ten, it says risk eleven to win ten. Yes, just every I figure you could do that, right? It can't be that much harder. Totally. Yeah, it's such an easy. That's the easiest switch. Like, and I just. I'm not understanding why some of these apps have not have not understood that. Like, you know, the female side of sports betting, like how many females do we all know these days that have a fantasy football team? I would say like half, like right. four out of 10 or five out of 10 females that I know have a fantasy football team. 10 years ago, that number was zero. And yep. that's that's the next step for how do you get someone now betting on, you know, the, the, um, the Bears, I'm a Bears fan, that Bears Dolphins game was, was super um, fun to watch, and the Bears have stunk this year. They've been no fun to watch, but like women would be betting on that Bears Dolphins game, like, oh, is someone going to score in the next five minutes? Like, of course, some girl would would bet two dollars on that to you know win six. And we've already got the females female side of the population into fantasy football. Now the question becomes, how do we get that part of the population into sports betting? And I think making these apps cleaner and simpler and easier to understand is. Is the answer to that? But um, all right, we got to wrap up. Uh, commanders take tons of. <laughs> I know you're a Commanders fan. Um, tons of rumors around this football team. Is Dan Snyder going to hold on to this thing? Is he not? You know, obviously, if he does sell it, the biggest, in my opinion, the favorite to acquire it would be Jeff Bezos. He yeah. already owns the Washington Post. He obviously has the liquidity to purchase this team. 
Um, and then, you know, the most important point to me is he's such a competitive guy. His nearest competitor, I put nearest in quotation marks because Amazon's market cap is like 6x Walmart's, I imagine, if not higher. His biggest competitor, the Walton family, just bought the Broncos. And, you know, your turn, Jeff, to buy your own <laughs> NFL team. So I just feel like he's such a such a favorite to do this. Now, if Dan Snyder may still not sell this thing. But, yeah, just your thoughts on the whole commander situation. Yeah, two things with it. It's just I am not – until it's – I watched the Halloween movie again recently, the original. You know, Michael Myers is not – he's now he's been dead ten times and he's not coming back. Like, that's Snyder until he is gone, until I see the contract, until all that. So I'm not I'm, I'm not letting myself get too excited until that happens. But fingers crossed it's going to happen. My hot take, Luke, with uh, Jeff Bezos is I think the owners may not want him in because they're afraid he's going to be too good. Now, maybe that's a delusional optimist with it, but there, I think they maybe have that fear. Okay, you know, you've done everything with it. You are so much richer than all of us. Maybe there's some jealousy. Maybe there's some fear with it. It's interesting. They talk about the reporting. How has Snyder been able to hang on for so long for all the corrupt things he's done, which may also include stealing from the NFL, getting reportedly, who knows? But, like, how at the end? They say part of it is because he makes the rest of them look good. Because it's great to have him. He knows the team is wow. going to be bad. He gets all the attention off their own. I mean, come on. These guys aren't saints, you know? These aren't the perfect people. They all have messed up things with them. Snyder gets all of the attention. He gets all of the oxygen, all that. His team continues to be terrible. Look at us, too. The NFL owners aren't um, equal. Jerry Jones for the Cowboys has more influence than the other guys. Well, Jerry Jones is in the same division as, as uh, Dan Snyder in the, in the Commanders. You think he kind of likes beating up on them twice a year, every year? I think he does. The Giants, also the Maras and all that, very influential family. You think they don't like having the Washington football team, commanders, whatever you want to call them there, the Eagles. So that's all part of it, too. So we'll see. Um, I, I love the speculation, and I am cautiously optimistic. But, again, I'm, I'm not sure until he is finally, finally gone. I'm not going to take uh, let up until that happens. <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah yeah he's 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 their punching bag. He's he's like the yep. the little stepchild punching bag that the uh that they want to uh you know bring bring to Christmas so that they can make fun of him. Um, <laughs> seriously it's you can go hey well me, maybe our team hasn't won a super bowl in 30 years. Maybe I'm not that great a guy. But look at least we're not Dan Snyder and the Commanders. Yeah. I, the only um, point I thought I've heard that before that the owners might not want as successful of a guy as Jeff Bezos is Bezos, in my opinion, would pay the highest price because he has the cash, and all of these guys need to mark their assets to market. And the higher price you can get for a, a team that's in D.C., you know, not as large of a, a market as like a Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, you want these these teams to be the highest mark to market as possible. And I would imagine Jeff Bezos would pay the highest price for a team. So as such, that that will increase the wealth of these other owners. Oh, and Luke, absolutely. If, if he outbids them by, let's, I think the the Broncos were about five billion, I believe. Uh, the Commanders actually will probably go for or at least that, probably more. As is, is the yeah. things that, let's say he outbids everybody else by by a billion or something. They'll, they'll, yeah, then they then they won't care. They'll, they'll take right. that money. And then, yeah, that then it doesn't matter. <laughs> money, money always talks. Yep. Yeah. Um, Ryan Butler, uh, thank you so much for joining us. The people can follow you on Twitter at Butler Bets. Check out, uh, doing some great writing on the industry. Um, and uh, let, let's do it again soon. Great, guys. Anytime. Glad to be on. And we are back. Uh, thank you again to Ryan for, for joining us. Uh, would love to have him back on the podcast uh, soon. There was tons of stuff that uh, we wanted to talk about that we couldn't even cover. Um, but we, we hope you uh, in, enjoyed that interview and uh, are now a little bit smarter uh, about uh, what's going on in the uh, the world of sports betting legalization and, uh, and industry advancements. 
Um, so uh, without further ado, let's get into our weekly segment, Steak or Swap. First up, we'll be talking a little college football. Uh, this Saturday was uh, nothing short of crazy with uh, a couple upsets. Uh a, a, a game that we thought might be uh, close. Georgia definitely um, dominated Tennessee at home, but that was also could be kind of expected. But um, Alabama losing to LSU was a crazy upset. Uh, Clemson losing to to Notre Dame was an upset. Um, and so that has opened up the door to a few more teams um, to, to make it to the college football playoff. So, the first team we're going to talk about is Oregon to win the championship at 30 to 1 odds. Uh, I will go first. I am going to stake the Ducks right now at 30 to 1 odds. So, uh, as I mentioned, Alabama's pretty much out of it. Uh, the, you've got this matchup, Michigan, Ohio State, where uh, I think if Ohio State wins, which they should, uh, that will eliminate Michigan from, from the title contention. Clemson's out of it. And so I think this kind of opens the door for a Pac-12 team to, to make the Final Four. Uh, Oregon is a, the favorite right now to win the Pac-12 championship at plus 110. Uh, they have zero conference losses. Their only loss this season was week one to Georgia, where they got absolutely throttled. Um, but um, I, I think as we've seen, that, that loss is not that bad, and, and obviously teams can improve dur- during the season. Uh, right now, uh, Oregon ranks uh, ninth in the country in points per game, third in the country in yards per game, uh, second in the country in yards per play. This is a high-octane offense. Um, obviously, if they do make the playoff, you would mu- I think you would much rather play Ohio State uh, as like a two versus a three seed um, rather than playing Georgia where they would be a significant double-digit underdog. Um, but for those reasons, I am staking Oregon. I think they could run the table and, and make the playoff. Yeah, no, all great points. Um, so I have a few additional uh, touch points on Oregon, but I will also stake the Oregon Ducks at 30-1. to 1. I think what we saw over this past weekend was some crazy underdog is now going to get in to the college football playoffs. So that's point number one. Someone in that, like, 20-1 to 1 to 40-1 to 1 range is going to get in to the CFP. Um, I think the uh, uh, BC, you know, not, I should say BCS, but... College football voters want a West Coast team in this thing. Um, doesn't seem like, you know, traditionally it's like a Notre Dame or like an ACC team or a West Coast team. One of those three boxes they like to check. Uh, Notre Dame is definitely out, even though they did beat Clemson. That spread was so fishy. I have no idea why uh, that spread was three and a half. In fact, it turned out to be completely correct that Clemson was only favored by three and a half. In my opinion, it should have been a 10-point underdog to Clemson. Um bookmakers slash betters clearly had that figured out. Uh, that game wasn't even close, not even close. Like Notre Dame rolled Clemson in Notre Dame. So clearly uh, Clemson was inferior this year. Notre Dame was horrendous this season. They lost to Stanford in South Bend. Uh, Stanford hadn't beaten a FBS team in 11 tries and beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame also lost to Marshall. Um, so that's the Clemson point. They're out. Now you got to pick an underdog team. <laughs> Oregon has scored 
40 points in, besides that Oregon loss in week one. They have scored 40 or more points in every single game. Their offense is a wagon. So um, I will also stake the Oregon Ducks. I do think they get into the college football playoff. And then if they do, you, of course, can flip that ticket on Provsop for five or six times that you paid for. I think if they get in, their odds would be about five to one to win the championship. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the other wild, potential wild card team could be TCU, um, which is undefeated. But they are a seven point underdog this week against Texas. So I think that kind of just, again, if you want to talk about the odds makers kind of know what they're doing, I think that goes to show you that while TCU is undefeated, the they are not that good of a team. If, if you're a seven point dog to uh, to a Texas team that's barely ranked. Um, yeah. Uh, Shout out Arizona. I do like Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes is actually the offensive coordinator uh, at University of Arizona when Ian and I were there back in 2008, a long time ago. But um, some Arizona ties to uh, to TCU. So I am rooting for him. I think TCU being good is also fun to see. I think it's uh, having a – TCU is like a really wealthy uh, alumni base. So just fun to have a team down in Texas be relevant. But uh, I agree. Huge dog against Texas. We'll see how that game goes on Saturday. Yeah, uh, and then just the other thing I'll point out, uh, currently at Caesar Sportsbook, uh, they have odds on on teams to make or miss the playoffs, and Oregon's right now 5-1 to one to, make the, to make the playoffs. So that could also be another uh, interesting uh, thing to sprinkle on. Uh, I also kind of like USC, but um, I, I felt stronger about, about Oregon. But I do think things have opened up for a, a one-loss Pac-12 team to, to make the, uh, the, the playoff. Um, so, and then switching gears, uh, we'll talk a little, uh, NBA, uh, season is now a couple weeks, uh, in the books. Uh, one of the surprising teams, although if you listen to this podcast, I think we were, Luke and I both liked this team heading into the season based off their, uh, their off season moves and, and how they provi- uh, performed last season. We'll talk a little, the Cleveland Cavaliers at 22 to one to win the championship right now. Uh, Luke, you can go, you can go first. Are you staking or swapping the Cavs? Yeah, this is a podcast about positivity apparently this week. Um, I will also stake the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are 22 to 1 at uh, Borgata slash BetMGM. Uh, Meanwhile, they are 15 to 1 at Caesars. So immediately value there. If you price shop, if you have access to BetMGM, make sure you uh, line shop before you make any bets. That's what we preach on this podcast all the time. So grab them at 22 to 1. They beat, I was at the game last uh, Wednesday, uh, Boston came into Cleveland. That game, while it did go into overtime, Cleveland was dominant. Yes, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, when they're hot, like they're difficult to guard. But in my opinion, that's really all Boston has. Like if Tatum and or uh, Jalen Brown have off nights, like they're going to have issues. Boston will. Cleveland's a much more balanced team. Donovan Mitchell is getting MVP chance at the end of the game. Um, they were a great team last year. You add a superstar to the mix. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers at 22 to one is a ton of value. Um, I think the Brooklyn Nets are, are a circus. I don't trust that team. I do still like the Sixers, but the Sixers odds, you can see them at 16 to one. So, you know, are the Sixers 25% better than the Cavs? I don't think so. I think those team two teams are very similar. Um, and I certainly don't think that the Celtics should be 5-1 to one if the Cavs are 22-1. to one. They are not four times better um, than the Cleveland Cavaliers are. So for all those reasons, I will be staking the Cavs at 22-1. to one. I wish I got them earlier. 
Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there was definitely some prop swappers who, who got them earlier. Uh, I will be staking uh, the Cavs as well. Um, like I said, we talked on this podcast. They were, I think, tremendously undervalued uh, this offseason. And I think people were thinking about how the end of the season, which um, they were hurt a lot by uh, Jared Allen being injured. And that really kind of uh, decimated their their interior defense. Uh, and then they acquired Donovan Mitchell. And they, I think they were even further undervalued, even though the odds did move. Uh, they did not move far enough. And we have some prop swappers who are getting them at, you know, 80 to 1 pre-trade, 40 to 1 uh, post-trade. Um, and it's it's gelling right. I mean, people thought, you know, could Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell play together? Uh, the answer has been a resounding yes. Uh, the second-year player, Evan Mobley, uh, he's a terror on defense where uh, he can guard almost any position. Uh, and so really it's it's the defense that I think um, is, is kind of the calling card for this team. Uh, they're second in the league in points allowed. Uh, they are number one uh, in margin, right? So they, they are... Uh, outscoring opponents uh, over 12 points a game, uh, which is number one. Right? They're in terms of points, scar- points scored versus points allowed. So uh, if, if you can hang your hat on defense versus shooting, right? Like, for example, the Jazz right now have been this huge surprise team, but that's just because they've been shooting the lights out. Uh, and that's usually not something that can be sustainable over 82 games. Uh, but if, if you're good on defense uh, and, and you have depth like, like, uh, like the Cavs do, uh, I think that's a, that's a recipe for, for success. So uh, I do still think there is some value right now at, at 22 to one. Uh, if you start to see those odds drop to like 12 to one, 10 to one, then I think that's, that's probably uh, where you might want to start selling. Um, cause again, I mean, everything is so injury dependent, right? If, if someone goes down for six to eight weeks, whether it's Mobley or Mitchell, or you know, I think they can probably play without Garland, but, um, you know, NBA is such a long season where, uh, injuries, you know, an injury to one player can so drastically affect that. Um, I think the Cavs are a great example of, of value right now, get in still while, while the odds are above 20 to one. And then, uh, hopefully get out, um, you know, midway through the season and, and then maybe revisit them again in the, in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, I will be staking, uh, the Cavs as well. Um, so that will, uh, do it for this week's episode of the prop swap podcast. Thank you to Ryan for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.